Welcome back to School of Science Radio Podcast. I'm Gino Ganello. Um, just like last week, joined by Matthew Chandler. And we actually have another guest this week from the Royal Blue Mercy uh, page, uh, Pete Reynolds. Pete, how are you doing today? Yeah, doing good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's great. It's great to have you on. It's great to have, you know, talk, be able to talk about soccer or football once again and uh, uh, be able to talk about an actual game as opposed to what we talked about last week. Uh, as you know, everybody probably knows at this point, uh, Everton uh, and Liverpool played in the Merseyside Derby uh, this past Sunday. Um, it was a 0-0 draw. Uh, we'll get into the details of the game a little bit, but let's start with the t- team selection. Um, Matthew, did Ancelotti get the team selection right? Um, did he get the team selection right? I think he got it mostly right. I would say um, I think a lot of the team kind of picked itself, didn't it? I think because of injuries and sort of pre-lockdown form. I think um, we talked last week, didn't we, about whether um, it was too risky to play four-four-two against Liverpool without Lefty too open, and I think at times it did. But then I think at other times you saw how important that link-up play between Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin is. Um, I thought we were quite exposed in the middle. I thought, I think Davies and Gomez, I thought Tom Davies was all right. I thought he had a decent game. I thought next to him, Andre, Andre Gomez looked more off the pace than most other Everton players, I would say. And I think that midfield was probably our weakest link. But I think, I think obviously the main, the sort of, the, uh, the standout, uh, sort of decision was to start Anthony Gordon and um, it's a good job it got Pete because I think Pete is Anthony Gordon's biggest fan aren't you Pete? Uh, <laughs> There's no doubt about that. <laughs> um, but I thought he did well. I thought uh, you know he kind of he kind of, um, kind of disappeared as the game went on but I thought it emerged a derby. Um, you know, for your first game in three months, I thought he did all right for a youngster. I'll certainly keep him in for Norwich anyway. I think the only one I was annoyed about, I think, was Alex Iwobi, because I don't think, I think his poorest games for Everton have all come when he's played on the wing. And he, for whatever reason, he didn't look up to it at all. He looked really off the pace, I thought. And I wasn't sure why. He didn't bring Bernard on earlier or even start Bernard, because I think we're a much better, more balanced team with Bernard. But... You know, I think a nil-nil draw is a good result anyway in the circumstances, so kind of nitpicking it, complaints. Pete, how do you, you feel about the team selection? I was actually really happy about it um, as soon as it was announced. Obviously, as Matt said, I'm Anthony Gunn's biggest fan, um, but he's been, we've been crying out for him all season. Um, just a bit of creativity on the wing. Obviously, we've got Bernard, but his final ball's not always there. And then we've normally got Walcott on the other side who provides literally nothing. So uh, I think Gordon didn't have the best game, um, but it was, as Matt says, it was a really tough game to come in, like playing potentially the best team in the world and also lining up against maybe the best fullback in the league and um, Alexander-Arnold. So it was always going to be a tough game for him. Um, I was actually really surprised that Sigurdsson didn't start. Um, in a good, pleasantly surprised. <laughs> pleasantly surprised. Um, yeah. I, yeah, pleasantly surprised because he, he just seems to be one of those, for some reason, undroppable players. Like, he does nothing for months on end, and there's no question about him being on the team sheets. And I think Matt, I split him up before the game, and they, I said, oh, I think it'll be Gomez, Sigurdsson in the middle. Mm. Um, and he just said, oh, it's got to be Davis because of the balance. There's like Gomez and Sigurdsson can't provide any defensive cover on his right. And luckily, Ancelotti saw that as well. And I thought Davis had a really good game. Yeah, no, I, I think, I, I think, I think, I think that, um, you know, I think he got it right for the most part. Like you said, um, you know, obviously, Awobi on the wing. Um, you know, you hope he could produce. But he's kind of been one of those players, uh, you know, when we got him, I feel like, it was like, wow, like he's had some bright spots and he can produce. And then, you know, now that we've had him for almost a year now, we're starting to see why he didn't work out at Arsenal and maybe some of the things that are that came up to leading to Arsenal selling him. So um, obviously uh, that was a little tough, but you know, 
Anthony Gordon, only 60 minutes, but I thought while he there were parts where he was having trouble with during the game, I thought there was a couple parts towards the end of the first half where he really came into the game um, and provided something, had a couple good, um, you know, interlinking plays with some of the, you know, with Richarlison or, or, or some of the other players um, in attack. Uh, so I thought he played pretty well too. And I, I think Ancelotti did a good job of, you know, I mean, I think the biggest thing was just make stifling that Liverpool attack. And, you know, as we will talk about, as we get a little bit more into it, uh, the defense was pretty good. Um, we've already talked about Gordon's performance, but should we feel as a whole, should we feel disappointed Everton didn't get the win in this one? Obviously, I think going into this, a lot of us were hoping for a draw or a draw would have been great. But after we played and after seeing how things went and the chances we got, Pete, should we have been disappointed? I mean, when you get a massive chance, like the, what was it, a double chance really, when Calvert-Lewin had like a bit of a back heel attempt and then Davis followed up and hit the post. If you ignore that moment, I think a draw, was, we'd definitely take it. It's just that one moment and you think, oh, because it kind of, when um, Davis actually has that shot, it takes a little nick off. I think it was um, Gomez at left back. So you just think that tiny moment, and Liverpool didn't create much, did they? Like they, they controlled the ball, but they didn't do anything really. And they had a couple of half chances. Matthew had a head in the first half and went wide. Um, I think a nil-nil. I always take that in the derby. It's the least painful way out of it. <laughs> That's fair. We're used to nil-nils, aren't we? Now against Liverpool. Yeah. Is that three in a row as well? It's three in a row, and then yeah, and then the one before that was nil nil until about the ninety sixth minute, wasn't it? When Manny yeah, when Manny scored, wasn't it? So um, <laughs> the um, I thought um, I, I don't actually the the piece I wrote, I said I don't think Pickford. I thought back to the derby last season at Goodison where he made that great save one on one from Salah. Or when Mike, Michael Keane made that goal-saving tackle from Salah. Or I think Fabinho had a chance, didn't he, where Pickford uh, made like a diving save. I don't remember Pickford having anything that sort of severity or, you know, that crucial to do yesterday. There was a few free kicks, wasn't there, from Fabinho and uh, Alexander-Arnold. And a few headers and a few shots that were pulled wide. But there wasn't, there wasn't really any moments of like real danger. And I think that's... Maybe where you could be a bit disappointed that, you know, as much as Liverpool probably dictated a lot of the play, I don't think anyone would deny Everton had certainly one, if not two, of the best chances. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I, definitely. I, yeah, I think that, um, yeah, I think, I think you see, you hit it on the head there, Pete, saying if that one chance isn't there, you're like, okay, zero, zero draw. We played well defensively, but when you realize, it, it's, it always seems that there's always that one chance that we miss in, in, a, in big games like this that you would go into the game thinking a draw would be great, but then you come out of the game like, damn, we could have had that one. That's one we could have had and probably should have had. Um, but like you guys say, 0-0 is still a good result. Um, not that Liverpool would have won the title at Goodison, but you know, not giving them all three points is always something we'll take, especially in a situation like we're in now. Um, you know. It, it was, uh, you know, I think it was a good result. Any other thoughts about, you know, the 90 minutes as a whole and, and how this, you know, this team performed as a whole? What, do you, what did you think of the um, Charleston chance at the end? Because I thought I mean, there's one where he shot from, from quite a tight angle. And yeah, I mean, he yeah, with a woe be across, yeah, he probably, he probably should have probably passed that. I mean, I saw, I've, seen, I've seen people say that they think I mean, it's kind of half joking, but the fact it would be such a poor game whether Richarlison just didn't trust him to go. <laughs> um, which, and I also I thought with the Davies chance, it's a good flick from Calvert Lewin first, and then it will be actually in quite a good position when it comes out to him, but he doesn't make the run. So then Davies has to run over and pick it up. Again, I don't know. Maybe I'm being harsh on it will be, but I. I did get the impression that if he runs for that, he'll get he would get there before Davies and have a better chance of scoring than Tom Davies had. But either way, I agree. It's yeah. good. It's a good. Um, it's a good interception from Gomez, isn't it? And vital for Liverpool anyway that they didn't lose that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think for the first game back, I think Everton did pretty well. I was, I was certainly impressed with with how solid we were. Um, I thought Mason Holgate was very good. I thought Seamus Coleman was. 
easily man of the match. Um, yeah, he's not had a great season as he Coleman, but um, I was pleased for him that he's shown that he's you know he's not finished or he's nowhere near sort of over the hill. I thought he did a really good job on Mane, who was probably Liverpool's best player as well. Is that, does, um, sorry, just to cut in here, does, does Seamus Coleman's performance today, does that kind of give you more? I know we t- last week we talked a lot about Sadibe and his contract situation and how you know, the end of the season will go for him. Does Seamus Coleman's performance today give you, you know, a little bit more hope for next season you know, for not bringing Sadibe back that he can hold down his position and, and do a decent job? Um, I would still buy a right back. I would still look at the right back market. Um, I think I spoke with you before, Pete, about Max Ahrens at Norwich. I think we think. Yeah, that'd be a great sign. Really, he's. I think he'd be like perfect signing for Everton, or certainly one of the best um, signings we could make yeah. uh, realistically. Um, I don't know why. I think Sadibi was injured, wasn't he yesterday? Which is why. Yeah, he concluded. Not, yeah. Um, I don't want to see Kuko Martin on the bench again. Um, <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I would still think right back is a priority just because we are we are still short. I mean, Coleman was great yesterday, but he needs to do it over a run of games. He can't just have one good game and then one and then tail yeah. off the next game. No, absolutely. Um, yeah. So I, I, I wouldn't think... This- yeah, go on, Pete. I, I think the thing with Coleman is that I think that performance showed that Sadibi's definitely not, if at all, an improvement on him. So there's no need to be going out and spending like loads of money on him when you've already got someone, let's say, a capable deputy. And I think that's what Coleman's going to be from now on. And there's just no need to have Sadibi there as well. If you're going to get a right back, get a much better right back. Like get someone yeah. young who's going to, you know, like like what was it, six, seven years ago now when like. Baines and Coleman were flying down each wing. That's what we should be looking to get again. So we've got, I think we've got someone solid on left and Dean. But now we need that replacement at right back who's going to actually improve the team. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think if anywhere, if there's any anywhere as a position for City, I'd probably say right midfield now. To be honest, as well, I think he had, a, I think he played quite well there when Ancelotti played him further forward and. While I don't think he's as bad or as much of a liability as other people do defensively, he's clearly not. You know, I think Mane would have had a much easier game against us had he be playing right back last night than Coleman. So, yeah, I think the sensible thing to do would be either sort of look at John Joe Kenny and say, is, is he good enough to challenge Coleman or look to get someone new and sort of take over that mantle from Coleman because I don't think Coleman will go this summer and I think he showed last yeah. night he's still got he's still got a lot to offer Evan even if only in one-off games yeah. oh yeah absolutely, absolutely. Um, obviously things were different because of COVID-19 and and the regulations now that we have for for Premier League football one of the big things was there were no fans what did you guys think uh, Matthew what were the thoughts in the atmosphere did the lack of fans kind of, you know, take away the home advantage? Did you feel that Everton were, um, you know, at a disadvantage here in this game because of the lack of fans? I think I saw uh, I saw uh, Peter Crouch say on Twitter he thought is the is the one game so far where he thought the game suffered from the from the the absence of fans or the one the game that suffered the most from the absence of fans. Um, and I would agree completely with that. I thought. Um, I thought the intensity was there at first, but then you could see it kind of ebbed away, um, which might be just down to fitness as much as anything. But um, I just, you know, it's a derby, isn't it? You want that sort of feverish atmosphere. You want sort of Liverpool to feel like they're entering a bear pit. And apart from putting them in a porter cabin outside Goodison Park before the game, I'm not sure. <laughs> We really intimidated that much. Pete, I don't know, Pete. Were you were you at the derby last season? The, the, uh, um, no, I wasn't. I didn't. I watched it on TV. I think. Yeah, that, that's the kind of. We should explain. Needs, sorry, you you live in, you live in Spain, don't you? But you you've still got season tickets, so you come over. Yeah, I get over for lots of bad ten games a season or so. Yeah. Um, but I'm an absolute jinx this season, so it's probably best <laughs> to stay away as long as possible. <laughs> um. <laughs> I think in some ways, though, 
at Goodison especially, not having a crowd could benefit us. Because when we're when we kind of got our backs to the wall and you know we're defending a one-nil lead, I think the crowd is useful in those situations where it's like really that extra man. But mm. as soon as I, if, if, the, if we don't start well and a couple of things go wrong, we're so quickly on players' backs, and it definitely doesn't help. So I think like I wrote in the piece this week about like bringing the young players. This is a great yeah. opportunity for them to do it to come in in like a low-risk environment without like people screaming down your neck and just getting irate and groaning mm-hmm. every time you misplace a pass. Yeah, it, it I would, say, would, would agree with Tom Davies, sorry. I think Tom Davies certainly benefited from that. Yes, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Because he's, he's someone who seems to take most of the flack, and I think. Yeah. He, wasn't, he wasn't man of the match or anything last night, but he, he looked a lot more composed and, and, you know, in control. And maybe under a bit less pressure than he normally is. So, no, I don't, Do either of you have the ability to watch the game with or without crowd noise? Yes. So I'm no. on Sky. Yeah, we have that, that uh, in America, NBC Sports offers, like, you can watch the game on television with the crowd noise, or you can go on the NBC Sports app and, like, it's like, uh, they, they just have the regular non-crowd noise what it sounds like in the in the stadium which one of you which one have you been going for i just watched the one on, on television because i don't feel like taking out my laptop or going on the nbc no. <laughs> what about you people have you, what have you well i've been watching a few games like bundesliga last few weeks and i've just, I'm just uh, kind of picking up streams and stuff so sometimes yeah. it's got crowd noise sometimes it hasn't yeah it's so much better to watch with crowd noise even though you know it's not real it makes it. I think it just it makes, makes it, you feel a bit more real, though, doesn't it? I think that's, it, that's so like yeah. you kind of you know it's fake and stuff, but it definitely helps you kind of get in that. It doesn't. It just takes away some of the weirdness about it. Yeah, yeah. No, I did yeah. like how Evans' crowd noise seems to be booze for the first like twenty minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be accurate, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like um, I, speaking of the Bundesliga, I, I've been watching a lot of Bundesliga recently too. And the first game that they had, there was no crowd noise. I don't think they don't think they had any crowd noise, whatever. And the next game they did, the next you know match they did, and it was just like it's like one of those things like where like you might not be paying attention, but like you you feel like there's crowds in the stand when you're not paying attention. Whereas like it's kind of like silent, and, you know it, mm. it 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 is a little weird without the crowd noise for sure. Yeah. Did any of you did either of you notice um, Seamus Coleman or even hear Seamus Coleman telling Mike Dean? Uh, where to go to put it nicely last night I thought I didn't pick up that no I didn't you know <laughs> uh, well, it's just it's so it's like Coleman there was that there was that tackle on Marnie where it went out for a goal kick I think but Mike Dean looked like he was going to give a corner I think <laughs> Coleman just told him to, Coleman just told him to piss off and it's just it wasn't even it, there was nothing subtle about it at all it was just you know so blatantly and it's you know it's great to see because I thought Mike Dean was rubbish last night he was really bad. Um, I can't believe he's was allowed it? to ref that game, by the way, because he's a Tranmere fan, isn't he? And yeah, he's from the world, yeah. He's... Yeah, <laughs> it's mad. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he didn't used to be allowed though, because I think he didn't he get the derby last time as well. But before that, he'd never yeah. had it. It's only last like, year or so, certainly. That he's yeah, in charge of it. But he did. I think he did the five-two defeat, and he did. Yeah. The Goodison Derby last year, but I think before that, his last Everton game was like six, seven years ago or something. But yeah, <laughs> he didn't cost us last night, did he? We can say that. At least. No, yeah. Well, there was one. There's one decision that was absolutely woeful. I think who came. I think it was Dean came with the tackle. Was it Dean? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This and yellow card. One clearly Dean. won the ball. Yeah, yellow card for Dean, and then like in free kick in the next position. Like if one of those goes in, then you can say, well, he did cost us the game. Yeah. I don't, I, mean, I don't like going on about the refs, but he, he did have a bit of a stinker last night. But. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, he's, you know, he's one of those guys who's always good for one of those. Um, <laughs> it always seems like it comes, it, it always seems like it comes in games that, you know, he does for us. But um, uh, general thoughts on the Premier League so far since the return, just kind of like your guys' opinion on the changes, I guess. What, what do you guys think of? Maybe not even just the changes, quality of the football, you know, everything as a whole. It's not been terrible. <laughs> it's a nice way of putting it. It's, it is better than not. It's better than 
you know, sort of blackout for three months. But I mean, I would say there's, some, there's something missing, but it's kind of obvious what that something is, which is the atmosphere, the sort of um, that extra element that makes the game so much more exciting. I think. Um, yeah. But you know, we can't. You can't do anything about that, can you? So you just got to make the best of it. I think um, we said about the crowd noise. I think the crowd noise is all right. You know, I mean, it, I'd rather that than just the eerie sort of hollow, empty yeah. stadiums that you hear of the one. The one yeah, thing I don't like is I don't. I'm not a fan of these drinks breaks particularly. Um, certainly not at the times they they come in. They seem to be like very like almost compulsory that it's halfway through each half. I've seen quite a few games where it feels like it's kind of killed the momentum in games. Uh, not so much our game last night, but I think yeah, some I, of the other I, games I've watched. There was a match that I, I a team was just getting all the momentum. Might have been oh, it was the Chelsea match, I think. Oh yeah, yeah. They were just just bombarding um, Aston Villa. Aston Villa, and yeah, yeah. then all of a sudden, a uh, water break came, and Aston Villa got back into the game, and I was like, yeah. that just blew everything. That was terrible. <laughs> Yeah, and I don't know. I don't know if it's just because players aren't fit, but it, you know, I don't know if you've noticed, Gino, but it's not particularly hot in Britain in summer, so it's not like no, it's not like yeah. it's not like where Pete is in Spain, where it's like uh, <laughs> forty degrees and all the games are ten o'clock at night to sort of compensate for that. Honestly, yeah. even playing at ten o'clock at night is awful. I did it last summer. It's, the air's just really? so warm. Yeah, really? Okay. Because I mean, I've been to. Obviously, I've been, I go on holiday to Portugal a lot, which is right next to Spain. And it, even though it's like it can be scorching during the day, but then you go at night time, I find it was pretty not cold, but you know, sort of. Yeah, it probably depends how close to the coast you are and stuff. But oh, it's, yeah. it's not. It's definitely not the holiday, but it's definitely starting probably this around this time now. Where for the next two three months, yeah, yeah, even it's just like a bit more humid and stuff. Get yeah. sweat on really easy doing anything. Yeah. But I did notice. I did notice the home win percentage has gone down quite dramatically, hasn't it? I think I, I read what was it, forty-five percent from August to March, which okay is like a, a lot wider sort of scale than these ten games or whatever. But twenty percent, twenty-seven percent of games so far have been home wins, which yeah, it was the same kind of thing in the championship, I think, as well. There's only yeah. one or two home wins. Yeah, and also what I noticed was. And I don't know, maybe this is to do with fitness, but it seems to be a lot more late goals as well. I don't know if, it, like, the uh, Watford-Leicester game had two. Yeah. yeah um, two was another game. goals, too. Two yeah, goals. I think the West Ham, West Ham Wolves was nil-nil until about 15 minutes ago as well, wasn't it? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I watched uh, Fulham-Brentford yeah. on, on Saturday in the Championship as well, and that was nil-nil until about... 88th minute and that finished 2 0. A lot of like, a lot of 90th minute goals in the championship, a lot of sort of 80 plus minute goals in um, in the Premier League. And also, I heard someone say on the radio yesterday, which I don't know if you think is a fair argument, but it kind of feels like once someone goes, once the team goes 2 0 up, it's kind of game over. I don't know if you think that's. Yeah, yeah, no. I, I think fair. another thing, too, going back to Chelsea Aston Villa game, Aston Villa goes up 1 nothing. Maybe with the crowd, they don't. I mean, obviously, it went up one nothing before the half, but felt yeah. like it, Chelsea made some subs, got some fresh legs on, and then it was you know game over from there. Whereas you know maybe maybe if there is a crowd there, you know they were playing at um, Aston Villa, so maybe or at Villa Park, so you know maybe that eggs them on a little bit more, keeps you know the the momentum going in their favor. Um, so I'm, I'm sure it probably, you know, I'm sure it has an effect. I'm sure if there were fans in some of these games, uh, you know, like you said, late goals, you know, because that gives you that energy when there's fans in the crowd, you know, you're up or it's zero, zero, and you know, it gives you that energy to keep going. Whereas, you know, playing in front of nobody is kind of just like you know, running around. Yeah. <laughs> but, I think um, do you think, do you think the, um, the, the amount of late goals is partly due to maybe because there's no crowd and there's that lack of intensity that games are kind of they're going through the motions for the first you know, 70, 80 minutes and then they kind of realise oh wow there's, there's 10 minutes here we really yeah. need to go and get going whereas when you've kind of got the crowd behind you you have that pressure on you more throughout the game 
Yeah, I think – yeah, I think that could be true because, I mean, I don't know. Just It seems like, you know, 70 minutes – you're right, 70 minutes in, it's like, okay, we've just been, you know, just kicking the ball around here, you know, trying to get a goal. And like, you don't really realize the intensity of the match sometimes because there's no fans, because there's nobody breathing down your neck, uh, you know, away at, you know, whatever stadium or you're going to. Um, it's kind of like, okay, like I'm sure a lot of these guys play, a lot of these teams play friendlies behind closed doors. So, you know, it's a lot of them, especially in the first game back, it's probably like, oh man, like it feels just like a friendly. But, Pete, you wrote um, an article this week, as you always do, about five telling stats. You want to talk a little bit about that and kind of um, what you saw in this, in this game? Yeah. Um, I think the one thing we definitely saw was the, oh, the youthful setup was one. Um, it was, I think we had an average age of like 24 or so, which is pretty impressive. Um, the only player over 27 was Coleman. Um, and that's definitely something we need to be seeing more of. I think, like, what's the point of we, we've kind of had these Sigurdsons, the Schneidlins, these players kind of just past their prime now. What's, what's the real, and we've, you've seen the results for the last two, three years, like they've not shone particularly, not this is all on them, but these are just two examples. Like they've, there's kind of a, a glass ceiling with them, you know, in terms of what results we're going to get. So why not start mixing it up? Start, why not start playing more of these younger players? Like why not give more minutes to Davis rather than Schneidler, um, Schneidler or Sigurdsson? Why not give more minutes to Gordon rather than Walcott? I know Walcott was injured. Um, but I think that's the only way we're going to build something here. We've got to really start not just grinding out the odd result here and there. I mean, it's, it's, we need to build like a bit of a nucleus to the team and just, um, yeah, it's, I think that's quite a refreshing thing from yesterday. And that was one thing I was really pleasantly surprised about. Just to echo what Pete was saying, I think, I'm pleased that so soon into Ancelotti's tenure, he has given guys like Anthony Gordon a chance. Um, we saw Marco Silva, for example, um, I, I don't think gave any academy graduates a first-team debut, and he was there yeah, for that's right. 18 months or so. Sam Aller, apart from that Europa League game, which was basically a dead rubber, Sam Allardyce didn't give any. I think... Off the top of my head, the only one that Ronald Koeman gave was, uh, I was going to say Tom Davies, but he didn't actually give Tom Davies his debut, did he? I think John Joe Kenny was the only one, maybe. Um, I, think a, I think there's a few under Koeman. Um, I think that was more enforced through injuries and stuff. Cause well, there's, people like, yeah, there's people like Holgate and Calvert-Lewin, but they're not our academy graduates, are they? But no. As a more general point, yeah, I mean, bringing the average age down is great. And also the fact that a lot of these players are showing that they aren't good enough as well. I mean, Holgate and Calvert-Lewin, the amount of money that they've saved us, because they've certainly like decreased the need to buy a striker or a centre-back because um, of how well they've played all season, really. Yeah, It's also so, worth noting how much they've improved, those two. Yeah, like, yeah. like, Holgate has always got on the ball, but then he had these like defensive lapses. And honestly, Calvert-Lewin has absolutely astonished me how much he's improved the last yeah. two years or so. I, I thought he was going to be like a championship dog. That was kind of his, his no, role. No, I didn't, I didn't see it in Calvert-Lewin at all. And yeah, then he's just um, become this monster, really. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've always, you know, I, I've always liked Calvert-Lewin and, and kind of, you know, how he, uh, you know, I was, you know, was, the biggest thing was his finishing. And, you know, now that he's figured that out and figured out how to finish near the net, um, you know, it seems like he's just kind of striving under Ancelotti and all that. And, um, you know, he's been, he's been really good and I'm, I'm really happy. Like you guys said, having those youngsters and trying to figure that out, that's, this is part of building that team up and figuring out where you need to buy and where you don't need to buy, you know, um, and where, you know, like you said, Holgate and, and Calvert-Loon have been, have been really good and, uh, you know, just being important for us. Um, yeah, I, th- I think, I think with those two as well, the, the key thing is to show that even if they're a little bit below the level when they're coming in. So like, like maybe Gordon, for example, didn't like exactly shine yesterday, but if you look at those two players and how much they've improved just by getting games, they're like the likes of um, 
Gordon, or even Davis. Like Davis is still only 21. I think a lot of people forget about this because he's been around the South for so long. Just giving them games and they're going to, oh, they should improve. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, before we finish off the, um, you know, the, the, the conversation about Liverpool, the Liverpool game and, and you know, kind of getting to some news, Ancelotti's comments after the game. Matthew, what would you think about what Ancelotti had to say and, um, you know, how he feels about, I guess, the team moving forward? Yeah, so just to summarise, people haven't seen it, he said, uh, we're really close to winning, but it was a difficult game. We performed really well. We focused and... At the end, we had the opportunity to score and we're a bit unlucky, but Liverpool played well as well and had more possession. Um, and he, basically, the essence of it was he thought a draw was a fair result. Um, he was really impressed with, with Coleman, um, but stressed that Everton have to start winning games. He said, we have to win games. This is our goal, to try to have points and win. Um, the period before lockdown, we played against top teams and didn't win. But now is the, now is the time to win and try and climb the table. Um, and you know, I think the fact that he's not wholly satisfied with the point against Liverpool is, I think, a good sign. I think he's um, he, he can acknowledge we played well, but he's not totally satisfied because we didn't win, and it gives us something to work on anyway. So, um, I think it's pretty standard comments from Ancelotti, isn't it? He's always pretty, um, pretty zen about. Games of football, isn't he? It doesn't seem to be too uh, too high or too low about either way, does he? So, um, but we'll see how Wednesday pans out because you never know. Like the whole the whole Twitter sphere might go into meltdown if we lose on Wednesday. So, <laughs> yeah. people calling for Ancelotti's head by then, probably somewhere. <laughs> but we'll see how it goes. I don't know if I don't know if it could be as bad as what Arsenal's going through right now, considering that. <laughs> have fans actually going oh, yeah. I don't think we have we don't have time to talk about Arsenal <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Uh, but yeah like you said pretty pretty standard stuff from Ancelotti there um, kind of what you expect to hear and you know I'm sure mm-hmm. listen three months off you know there were going to be some things that you know didn't exactly um, look great I guess you could say and you know some areas that needed work but I think for the most part, I think we can all conclude can conclude that uh, you know pretty happy with the zero zero draw. Things were good. The defense looked good, and uh, you know now we move on to Norwich. But before we get to Norwich, just to talk about a little of the Everton news. Obviously, a lot of things surrounding um, transfers and going in and out, and, and you know some of the other things um, surrounding um, football. Everton specific, let's start with, I think, probably the biggest name surrounding Everton at this current moment and probably the most real, um, Thiago Silva. Obviously, he continues to be linked with Everton. He's leaving PSG at the end of the month. He'll be 36 in September. Um, the rumors are suggesting that we offered him a one-year deal with an option for another year. He wants two years. Um, he's played for Ancelotti. Um, you know, he's reportedly on a 12 million euro a year contract for, um, with PSG. Some other clubs in for him. Pete, I know you wrote a Pete about a uh, piece about this. Uh, talk about you know your opinions, I guess, on on Thiago Silva and whether or not he'd be a good signing for Everton. Well, the point I made in the article is really I can't see how this can possibly be good value for us in terms of the, this is a guy that's on like. 300 grand or something a week, as you say. And even if he takes a pay cut, it's, what's his pay cut going to be? Like 200,000 pounds, which is like you know, 10 million a season. It, it, he's 35. He's obviously on the decline. I think there's a reason PSG are letting him go at this point. Um, that said, if, if we can negotiate a good one-year deal at a reasonable salary, of course, and we should take a play like this. Like, he still could provide some vital experience to someone like Holgate. Um, although, I think this experience argument is also a little bit flawed in terms of, I don't think, he, does he speak English? Yeah, I doubt it. He's never played in England, so. Yeah, I'm not even sure if he speaks French. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's, it's one of these things, if you can get a good value on it, maybe, but I don't see how possibly, I hope we could get the value out of this because there's going to be a lot of teams in for him. 
And, you know, it's, it's like a very much a West Ham sign, isn't it? They'll, they'll, they'll sign mm. and they'll think they're a big club because they've got well, <laughs> someone who used to be good. Um, yeah. It's, uh, it, these things I mean, don't normally have happy endings. No, I totally agree. I think um, Pete made the comparisons to people like Samuel Leto, which, you know, are exciting, sort of shiny signing for Everton, but actually on the pitch. Did they offer that much? What do they offer? In fact, Eto was, you know, he sort of sussed Martinez out and Martinez got him out as soon as... <laughs> I'm not saying Thiago Silva will do that because he seems to have a much better relationship with Ancelotti, considering Ancelotti signed him twice. Um, but I, I, I do agree. I think the West Ham comparison is a good one as well. It's not particularly... It's quite a short-sighted sign, isn't it? I'm not saying it'll be a bad signing for Everton, but are we going to get sort of value for money out of him is the question. I, d- I doubt it would be as high as 200000 he'd be on, but I, I, I take your point, Pete. It's in that sort of ballpark, isn't it? It's, um, yeah. Yeah, and 35, 36 of September. Um, yeah, I think... I would, I would rather almost see Evan kind of nurture that partnership between Mina and Holgate, to be honest. Yeah, no, I, I think that's exactly what I was thinking. Um, you know, I was thinking with Mina and with Holgate there, it's hard to see, um, you know, I think we got a pretty solid pairing there, and I think things will uh, – I think that, that if we keep, you know, backing them, I guess you could say, um, that will move forward. But who knows? Maybe maybe Silva gives some. We, we um, do need a center. We do need a center bar. I don't think anyone's. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe, and maybe Silva gives. You know, a, I hate to go back to the leadership thing. You know, the leadership and you know, we we thought we were getting that out of Delft this year, getting you know an older central defensive midfielder who would be a leader in, in the you know leader in the in the dressing room, but. Um, you know, who knows? Maybe he's a leader. Maybe he's able to help Holgate. Who knows? Um, but moving on now to another player who has been linked with Everton, a player who was also out of contract as of June 30th, uh, Ryan Frazier. He did not renew. Um, he did not renew or, or extend his contract in any way. He will be leaving um, Bournemouth at the end of the season. Um, you know, he's not going to play for Bournemouth. Um, again, for the rest of the season, he's not, you know, signing any extension or anything. Um, apparently according to the daily mail, um, he told teammates he wants to join Everton. He's 26 years old, just one goal and four assists in the premier league this season. Um, but last season it was seven goals and 14 assists. What do you guys think, Matthew? Is this, is this a good signing for Everton at, at 26 years old, a player who has, you know, proving himself at, at you know, um, in the Premier League at one point, but this season kind of has fallen off a little bit. I think if I would have rather bought him 12 months ago than sign him on a free now, if that makes sense. The reason being, he had, a, he had a better season last year. There's kind of been rumblings all season with Fraser that he's kind of He's making eyes at other clubs. His, his, his goal and his assist return kind of reflects that, I guess, the way he's dropped off. Um, and also, I think, is he an upgrade on what we've got? Well, yeah, because he's better than Theo Walcott. Um, and probably he's better than Bernard, certainly in terms of end product, maybe not like technically. But, but I'm not sure. Everton have had a massive problem with signing the right characters. You know, I think of like... The amount of people who question Morgan Schneiderlin's attitude, or um, Gil, even Gilfie Sigerson, so with Jordan Pickford as well, you know, when they go on about his lack of maturity. Do, do Everton really want a guy who's flat out refused to play for the club who's paying his wages for the next next few weeks? I'm not sure if that's a good move for Everton, to be honest. Well, I don't know if it's obviously he hasn't. Decided to I do like him. I, yeah. Hal also cool. said though that how how was like listen like I don't want people here who aren't going to be you know, yeah yeah here to committed yeah you 
know, and, and help us get out of this relegation battle. So, I mean, as much as it's, I mean, I think it was expected that Frazier was going to move on, but it's more, I think, also how doesn't want him around the club if he's not going to really be focused because he's shipping off to another club in, you know, a few months. So, um, but I kind of, hey, Pete, how do you, how do you feel about Ryan Frazier? I think a bit similar to Matt here. Like, I think he's a good player. Um, but there's got to be massive questions about his, his attitude and what he's going to bring to the dressing room. Because um, I think the reason is, I think it's how he's basically decided he's not going to be playing because he wouldn't, ex- he wouldn't sign an extension beyond June. So it's not even that he would be going eventually in the summer. Yeah. It's a big, like, what, you've got to question the character like this. Like, why on earth wouldn't you sign an extension for another month? You can't play for another club. Anyway, yeah. you've been with this club for five, six years and they really need you in this moment. And for me, that's not someone who you really want on your side when they just kind of thinking, oh, maybe I'll get injured in that month. It's, yeah. You can get injured at any point. It's not a, I don't think it's a valid reason. It's a very big question over his character at that point. And obviously the other issue is how much does he want? Like, probably the good thing in Everton's case now is that we are the best club he could probably join. Because, yeah, last season, maybe Arsenal, maybe it's like less might have come in for him, but after a bit of a stink of a season that he's had, now we're kind of his best bet. So it might come down to the fact, do you want a decent wage at Everton, but you get to play for Everton, or, you know, do you want to go to, I think I'll bring West Ham up again. Here. Like they'll, they'll pay you wage, but, you know, you can have to play for West Ham. Well, it also, a guy like that, you wonder... He comes to Everton. He has a good season. Bigger Cubs come sniffing around. You know, I feel like that's a guy who is just, you know, he's not really wary, you know, if, uh, you know, say he goes to Everton, has a good season, and, uh, you know, Manchester United comes sniffing around or something like that, a bigger club. You feel like his eyes are immediately going to turn towards that. And do you want someone who, after one season with the club, had, you know, had a good season, is now looking to move on from that? You, you want to build something here. and you, those are the type of players who really can't build around because, you know. That's definitely true to a degree, but there's always, Everton are always, uh, Everton is still this kind of stepping stone club in a way. Yeah. Which yeah. you can say we're a big club, but people want to play in the Champions League. People want to win league titles, and, that, and I understand that. So even if Fraser did come and he had a great season, if a, if one of the, you know, the title-challenging teams did come in for him, we can make a big profit. I wouldn't have an issue with that as long as, you know, you're not, refusing to play and you know you just kind of give up which he definitely seems to have done at Bournemouth to some degree yeah no, I get that um moving forward Mo Besic obviously he was on loan at Sheffield United um who decided not to extend his loan to the end of the season so he returned to Everton this past week he obviously can't play for Everton uh because he was not no. registered in the 25-man squad in February he's out of an Everton contract uh, in June 2021 Matthew, is this a guy you see can stick around, or is this somebody who, at the end of twenty twenty or in twenty twenty one, is is on his way out and is one of those players that you know we had his time here and it just never worked out? No, I think I can't. I I, I couldn't believe it when I saw he still got another year left because it feels like he's been yeah. here for years. But I mean, he has been to be fair. Um, Did he get his deal renewed at some point? He did, yeah. He got a new... At the end of Martinez, Martinez gave him a new contract. <laughs> just before he was signed. That's a five-year deal, isn't it, I think? Oh, God. Cheers, Bobby. Bessage. I don't... I don't... I never saw the hype with Bessage, really. People seem to like him because he's some sort of passion merchant because he slide tackles everyone and he, he runs around with a very angry-looking face all the time and... Looks like he wants to dive, dive for the cause, which is probably more than you could say about players like Ryan Fraser, who we've seen about before. But he's just—he's not good enough, is he? I don't think. I think on the ball, he's not good enough. He's too hot-headed. He, I mean, he doesn't get—he doesn't get many red cards, but he's just—he's, you know, you think of Gay, and I mean, Gay was like sort of as good as the, as good as you can get. But Gay's Idrissa Gay was so composed in his tackling. And even on the ball, I used to think Gay didn't get enough credit for, you know, it wasn't a great passer, but he was be kind of the guy who would get the attack going by giving it to Gomez or Sigurdsson or Richarlison or whoever. So 
uh, Bessage isn't that kind of player. So, and I think it will do him good to leave as well uh, when he does. Um, shame it didn't work out from at Sheffield United because, um, you know, that that could have been a good place for him to go, but he just hasn't been able to get in their team. So, some of the one kind of on the scrappy really, isn't he, Bessage? Yeah, he's uh um he did sign a five and a half year contract um uh, a contract extension like four years ago or something like that. But uh, obviously, um, but um, yeah, he's one of those guys who, who, like you said, he he's one of those guys who goes in for that hard tackle. He's the perfect guy for a Liverpool match, where a derby match, where where you know you want a guy who can go in for a hard tackle, but he it gets him crazy, gets a lot of you know it's. Felt like it was all very sporadic and um, all over the place. There was no real, you know, it was like he never found time and a place for it. It was more, this is how he yeah. was every time instead of, you know, when he needed to be, you know. But, um, sorry, Pete, were you going to say something about this, Pete, sorry. Yeah, I think he's, he's one of these players that you do want in a dogfight. When, you know, when like, there was a period when uh, it all went really, everything went wrong with McComan. I know it wasn't, yeah. I think he wasn't fit at that point, but he's the kind of player you want when absolutely nothing is working. He's somebody you can throw on and just kind of get people going a little bit. But other than that, there's no value to him, really. Like, he, he shouldn't be playing for like Everton. Like, a, a team in the relegation zone, I think he could do the job for. Um, but he, he, did have yeah. good, uh, he had the odd good game for us. Like, I, think, I can't remember exactly what the result was, but I remember against City. Um, oh, the, uh, years, the League, you know, Cup, League Cup semi-final. Yeah, 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 yeah. He just actually, yeah, yeah, in his back pocket, and he was brilliant that day. And that, those kind of games when you play in a bigger team, and you do need to scrap a bit, is useful. But as you say, he's not, he's not good enough. Yeah, no, I think we all agree. I think we definitely all agree on that one. Um, Morgan Schneiderlin, as we get into kind of some of the players who have had their time here and look to be moving on. Um, Schneiderlin looks like he's on the verge of of joining Nice. Um, Pete, I mean, we talked a little bit about this last week. What's your opinions on him? Your opinions on, you know, the possibilities of him leaving and, and kind of his career and how things have shaped up for him here at Everton? Well, when he first came in, those first six months or so, he was absolutely different class. He was by far our best player. And then since then, he's never got anything. He's, he's never been near that level. Um, he's, he's a tidy player. He's, he's all right. Um, but, but again, this isn't someone who needs to spend in hundred grand a week on whoever he's on. Um, I think if we can get any any money for him, take it, yeah. and then just bring. Uh, if that means more minutes for Tom Davis, or you know, we've got Gavin Mean if he ever plays for us again. <laughs> it's. it's uh, <laughs> I, wouldn't, um, I wouldn't bet on it. Yeah, um, there's minutes better spent elsewhere. I think like, he's, he's, he could be a useful squad player, but not for the money he's on. So I think take take the money and run. Matthew, anything to add to that? No, I, th- I think we've. I mean, the only the only uh, sort of progression with this in the last week is that he apparently has passed a medical and is kind of about like ready to be rubber stamped. I think he will still be with Everton until the end of the season, won't he? I think I think he can only join French clubs because league league is finished. But I think you can only join French clubs if you're coming from another French club. Is he actually uh, fit at the moment, though? Well, he, st- he had surgery for that injury he got in the Arsenal game in February, and I think yeah. that's why he wasn't involved. I don't think it, he was left out yesterday because he wasn't in the squad. Um, I don't think it was he was left out. I think he's just not recovered yet. Mm. Um, but no, I think you know we said last week, didn't we? Probably not not an urgent piece of business, but not certainly a player ever could probably do without, especially the money he's on and the age that he is. So yeah. Um, and then news today was we're recording um, Monday, June twenty second. Um, Martin Stecklenburg signed a contract extension with Everton to get it to get him um, through the end of this season. But after that, he's agreed to permanently uh, join Ajax, a club that he was at when he was much younger. I believe when he first started um, on the professional stage. Um, you know, it's. Another guy who I mean feels like he didn't he hasn't played too much for us recently. Um, thoughts, guys? Yeah, it's sensible to keep him for the end of the season. I think uh, because the only other fellow we've got is John Virginia, who's obviously a kid, really. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, again, another player who haven't don't really need to keep any longer than a contract expiry date. So um, yeah, pretty sensible business thing that. Yeah, so he, I think he's been a really good deputy. He's like it pretty safe for hands to come on. Like in the past, we've had some absolutely shocking subkeepers, and it's kind of it's, it's very rare that you need it. But when it's good to know Pickham does get injured, you know, he's still got an experienced. Was he a World Cup finalist? There, yeah, yeah. Do you remember his two penalty saves? No, yeah. Yeah, against yeah, City, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. He barely played, you can say. Yeah. Oh, he's barely played for years. Like, um, he was, yeah. I think he was really high. Like, Stecklenberg was like really high rated. Was, I think he was at Ajax when he, and then he went to Italy and he didn't really play then. Went to Fulham, didn't really play then. Came to us, didn't really play. Kind of ended up having a bit of a career as a subkeeper, really. Yeah, he hasn't played a Premier League game since Pickford signed. Um, and he hasn't played any games for us, I think, since the start of Silvers, you know, in the uh, in the League Cup. So, yeah, makes makes sense to, um, I think, ship him. Well, he's not. I mean, he's contracts up, isn't it? So, makes yeah. sense not to renew that any longer than the end of July. Yep. No. We've got another keeper in Losel as well, haven't we? Who's on loan at Huddersfield. Yeah. He's going to come back in the summer, I guess. And he's another very good subkeeper to have. So. I think so. Yeah. No. Yeah. If he wants to stay, that is. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, we talked a little bit about fans not being in stands, but um, you know, a few days ago, word came out that football fans could return to the uh, the grounds by September when the 2020-2021 season is scheduled to start again. Do you guys think this is possible? Is this a real, you know, obviously there are reports, but we won't really know until September rolls around. Is this something that you guys can see happening with, you know, how things are going right now and the direction that they're moving? I think it's optimistic, but I think it's, um, it would be silly just to rule it out completely now when you don't know what the situation is going to be like three months from now. Yeah. Um, the only thing I would say is that a lot of, a lot of lower league clubs in England um, are using the, uh, the furloughing scheme where basically the government pays much of, if not all, your wages for the time being while businesses are closed. Because obviously these, these lower league clubs can't afford to keep playing their players full wages while they're not earning any money through revenue or whatever. Uh, but that's going to end in October. So obviously there will be a greater urgency for those clubs to earn money through things like ticket sales and gate receipts. Um, and whatever else comes with, you know, match day revenue. Um, so I think what they will probably do is they'll probably stagger it. So they won't, I don't think we'll go like, you know, um, behind closed doors to full houses straight away. I think probably, I think what will happen is they'll look at bringing season ticket holders back first because obviously they've, they've already taken season ticket holders money for next season. So it kind of, to give them the chance first will kind of give Everton or any club a way out of maybe needing to uh, reimburse them if they can't go to every home game. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, we've seen kind of... I do feel like the situation over here is getting a lot better with regards to coronavirus. I mean, it's, a very, it's obviously a slow process. But, I mean, I remember like the end of March, beginning of April, just felt like a really dark time. Um, I don't think it's anywhere near as bad as that now and I also don't think maybe this is naive but I don't think we'll see like a sort of second wave on the scale of, of the first one certainly not over here um, so I think it will only get better but it will only get sort of incrementally better if you, if you know what I mean yeah Pete I get, yeah I, I, so one thing I've seen about this is they were talking it's not actually the fans being in their seats that's a bit of an issue it's more being in the concourse area Especially good at so many little yeah, yeah. concourses. It's absolutely it's you know, it's like a mosh pit in there sometimes. <laughs> um, um, but um, the thing is, so Matt said like maybe you could get season ticket holders in first, but that's still at Everton at least. And I'm sure a lot of clubs, that's the vast majority of fans. There'll be thirty thousand in there. Um, so I think you'd have to figure out a way to maybe start at ten thousand, or you know, so there's alternate seats of free or something like that. Um, so then this question of how do you do that, do you say half the season ticket holders can go on all week and then half on the next week? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's also not just going to the match. Like, I, I don't know about you, Pete, but 
I, uh, I take, it takes me a bus journey and a train journey to get to Goodison and then, and then back. So, um, so, um, you know, it's, it's more than just actually going to the match itself and also, like you said, the concourse and everything like that. So, yeah, um, especially at Everton because so many people are getting public transport there and stuff and it is, it is everything's squashed, the trains are squashed, buses are squashed and then the pubs, of course, before the match as well. Yeah, yeah. So, um, there's a load of issues I'll have to sort out, but it, I think it'll be silly to jump to conclusions three months before. Yeah, no, yeah, it's it's still so far out. We're, we're not going to really know what to expect until we, until we get to that time, but hopefully, well, I think we're all hopeful. Um. Before we finish this off, just some news that literally came out an hour ago. Um, Carlo Ancelotti, um, and it's not, you know, this is something that I think happens a lot. Um, Ancelotti's been accused of tax fraud in Spain. Um, you know, I, it's uh, according to the BBC article that, you know, I'm looking at right now. It's, uh, you know, due to image rights earnings during the Italian's time. It was Real Madrid boss in 2014-2015. Um, he concealed revenues intending to avoid his tax duties towards the public treasury with no justification. Um, any real comments on this, guys? Figured we should at least bring it I up. I think it's kind of, well, yeah, yeah, but I think it's kind of, it's hard to, again, it's like, it's hard to jump to conclusions about this. Yeah. Um, we really know anything about it, so. Yeah. Uh, I'd, be happy to pay, I'd be happy to cover some of it for him if he wants to. <laughs> I think the thing is here, like if you look at the Spain's the top players that play in Spain, this has happened to all of them. This happened to yeah. Neymar, oh, Messi, yeah. and it's the thing is that like, I think this tax system is just so bad in Spain, and they're all, everyone's doing it. So um, they just want to they look Spain loves kind of like finding people and stuff like that to kind of boost the the uh, economy. So. I think he's, he probably almost certainly has done it and he'll get like a 20-month suspended sentence like everyone else in a big fine. There's mm. nothing to worry about, really. Yeah. Makes sense, makes sense. All right. Uh, well, I mean, I would say, I would quickly say about Ancelotti, if you haven't read the Guardian interview. Oh, yes, yes. Him, um, just quickly, um, he talks very, very well about the racism issue, about how he helped Khaledou Koulibaly when he suffered yeah. racial abuse during his time at Napoli. Uh, also talks about being called the sort of Hollywood manager or whatever. It's quite a funny line about him saying he wishes he was Robert De Niro. <laughs> uh, so you know, he did, yeah, um, did low on on the Guardian's website, which I recommend yeah. to anyone who hasn't read that. Yeah, and he also comes across as a really good speaker, which I don't think we got from say previous managers. Yeah, no, absolutely. That that's a great point. Thank you for bringing that up because I almost forgot. Um, but yeah, he does do a really good job of kind of explaining. You know, a lot about, you know, COVID-19 and quarantine and how he's been dealing with it and kind of, you know, his outlook as, as a coach and, and how things were, were as, a, as a coach during that time. And like you said, he does get into the racism issue and explains a lot of that. It's a, it's a fantastic article um, and it's definitely worth the read if, if anyone wants to read it. Um, just moving on, though, final thing we're going to talk about here is the next game, which will take place in a couple of days. Uh, Norwich will be uh, taking on Everton will be taking on Norwich. Um, it's going to be Wednesday at 6 p.m. Um, that's British Standard Time. Um, over here in the States, I believe it's 1 p.m. Um, the reverse fixture when we played Norwich the last time, they beat us 2-0. Uh, it was Marco Silva's last home game back in November 2019. Um, obviously, Norwich's most recent result was a 3-0 loss to Southampton this past Friday. They sit in last place on 21 points from 30 games. They are six points away from safety. Um, they've won just one in their last five. What needs to be learned from what happened in November? Is this – I mean, I, I would like to think that we're in a better position than we were back then, but how do we make sure it doesn't happen again? Marcus Silva played, uh, played a spine of um, – was it Sigurdsson, Schneidlin, and Cenk Tosin that day? Which is probably the slowest like spine I think you'll ever see any football team ever. So anything, any improvement on that will be a star. I don't know, Peter, yeah, is this one of your games? This is one of my games. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this Pete, is one of the ones Pete, I came to jinx. 
he came over from Spain for the uh, Sheffield United game, didn't you? Yeah. I haven't seen us win yet this season. <laughs> so Marco Marco Silva should come to you when he has any problems with the fact that he got sacked, correct? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Sorry, Marco. <laughs> um, uh, but no, yeah, go on, Pete. Yeah, it was just a completely lethargic performance. If we if we turn up like that again, maybe it'll happen again. But we we shouldn't take much, it doesn't take much to improve on that. It won't. It shouldn't take much to beat them. I think the fact the lack of the crowd will help us as well. So yeah. Yeah. What I remember from that game as well was there was kind of uh, there's kind of like this uh, sort of expectancy that we were going to win that day. But I think the fact I, th- I agree. I think the fact that we don't have the crowd might be more to our advantage than yeah. Norwich's. I think that game Norwich. I think I remember a lot of the Goodison crowd kind of expected us to turn them over because they're bottom of the league, and the fact we won't have that on on Wednesday. Might I think be an advantage? I know we're away as well, so it's a different kind of dynamic. Yeah. But um, and I think we're in a better place now, certainly than we were at the end of Marcus Silva's mm-hmm. time. But yeah, that performance was very lethargic, like Pete said, very sluggish, very sort of lacking in urgency. Which um, I think for the most part against these sort of teams, we haven't seen under Ancelotti. So nice, to just kind of see that continue and and kind of really take the game to them because they're. Kind of, they're in a lot of trouble, Norwich. So, yeah, Pete, anything to add to that? Yeah, I think it can't be that bad again. So, it's, it's a game that I think we'll win. Not too worried, and it's it'll be it will, as Matt said, it'll be good to see if Norwich do start to park the bus. Whether we can deal with that, because that's been the biggest issue. That was the biggest issue on the silver. How do we break teams down? And it's the same on the markers. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, anything we should ex- really expect from Norwich, something that maybe concerns you real quick before we get in a kind of... I watched them on Friday. I thought, I thought they were terrible, to be honest, I think. And you know, they kind of switched it over in the second half and went to this kind of strange formation where they had Max Ahrens playing left wing back and Jamal Lewis playing centre-back, yeah. almost. So, And... Um, I think the lowest scorers in the league as well, aren't you? So I think if you keep Timo Puki quiet, although he's kind of gone off the boil as well, then you've kind of done half the job, really. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, Southampton just, I say Southampton just took the game to them and, and and made the most of the fact that Norwich didn't have a crowd to play on as well. And uh, it was a pretty easy win for Southampton, really. Um, I, I'm not saying Everton should like just go out and replicate Southampton's game plan to the letter. But I think they've shown that you can get at Norwich and uh, that, you know, an empty stadium um, for Norwich is not maybe the the best uh, place to be when you're in a relegation battle. So yeah. I think this is a game that Everton really needs to try and win. I don't think, I don't think a draw is a particularly good result for Everton. I think yeah. if, you, if you want to build on Sunday, you have to go and get three points here. Yeah, let's, let's get right into that, kind of wrap this up here. Anything, predictions, this one should be a win, right? Anything less than that would be disappointing, correct? I, yeah, yeah, I would say so. I'd say, I think, I would like to see some changes, maybe take a Wobie out for, um, say, maybe Bernard, switch Gordon over to the right, or with Bernard on the right. Um, apart from that, I don't really see where... Maybe maybe take Gomez out. Maybe bring Sigurdsson back in for one game just because of how tired Gomez looked yesterday. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think Everton should have enough to win this. If they haven't played to their best, they should have enough to beat Norwich. Pete? I'll... Yeah, I think it's... we've got a win. There's no, there's no, no result that's all right there. Um, and yeah, I'd like to see more minutes from Gordon again. And that's the key thing. See more young players. All right. Matt, uh, I'll go to. I'll go. Uh, I will. I'll go for two one win. Two one win. Pete, you got any any score? Uh, I think it's six 0 <laughs> Six 0 I'd be alright. I'd be alright. That wouldn't. I? Wouldn't know about that. <laughs> yeah, I'll go. I'm going two 0 I'm going two 0 That's what I'm going to go with. Um, Sigurdsson doesn't score, Pete. Yeah. <laughs> 
Sounds like off the stomach, though. That's really it, though. That's I think we've we've covered everything in the past week of Everton. Uh, guys, thanks for joining me. As always, Pete, it was great having you on this time. Hopefully, we can keep getting you on and, and you know being able to talk about this stuff. Um, Matthew, thanks again for joining me this week. For everybody out there, um, you know, keep listening. We'll have another podcast uh, coming up relatively uh, soon, probably before our next match at some point um, and after the Norwich game. So keep an eye out for that. But until then, uh, we'll talk to you guys next time.